0: I don't know how much any of you younger ones here know, and what you've heard, some of these things we'll hear tonight. I've been teaching in the Bible school for 25 years or so. One of the things I want to deal with mainly tonight is the thought of dating and marriage. The Lord has been dealing with me to teach this for probably a month or so. And I didn't really have much at the time, and I was just waiting for the Lord to kind of put it together for me. So the most important decision any of us will ever make is accepting Christ, serving the Lord. The second most important decision you will ever make, I have made, is marriage. Now, I want to begin with dating. First of all, when I say this, many Christians don't believe this. A lot of churches don't believe it. A lot of churches don't teach it. They don't see it in the scriptures. I don't know why. But dating is not found anywhere in the Bible. Dating is a cultural thing in this country and in other countries. Because it's a cultural thing, it does not necessarily mean... It is the biblical pattern and I want to show you that in a little bit. The problem with dating or as I have heard people say, I'm seeing this person, I'm seeing that person. It's basically the same thing. The problem is that mainly the goal or the ultimate outcome of dating is marriage most of the time. That's the, the ultimate reason for dating. Now, Christ was given to you and I. Christ is God's best that he gave for you. He gave for me. His word that we love and we read, God gave that to us. That's the very best he gave that. God's best for us, for our personal life, is going to be the path he leads us on for us and our following that path. If we follow the path the Lord lays out for us, each one of us personally, at the outcome, we will have God's best. But I believe that many times, Christians settle for something less. They may settle for something good in their life. Uh, but they don't settle or want God's best. See, we all need to make a decision what we want as Christians do we want the normal do we want the very very best that God can give us and when I became a Christian I knew nothing in the beginning and over the period of time many years the Lord started to teach me and somewhere along the line in my heart I said Lord I want what you want for my life that's what I want And I'll share some things in a little bit related to that. And I want to show you that, for example, Pastor Jim and others, myself, we had to make certain decisions in our life for God's best. And that's just the way it is. That's the way it has to be if we want to serve him. See, many today, and we're talking about Christians, many today will make their own choices. I've seen this. For years, with people that I worked with that were Christians, people that I knew that were Christians, not in this church necessarily, but pe- people that I knew even outside of the church. And they made choices based upon what they thought, what they wanted, what they desired, what they thought, well, the Bible says this, but, you know, that's, that, that really doesn't apply to be in this situation and so they made certain choices and they didn't find the will of God for their life. See, you must find the will of God and the purpose of God for your life. And if you desire to know that, he will show you that. Now, right now for you it may be, you know, obeying your parents, being in submission, obeying a boss at work, coming to church regularly, coming to youth group, the basic things that you know a right to do, as you do them, the Lord will begin to open up other avenues where you'll begin to see things and you'll be able to, to start to understand what the Lord may want for you next year, two years from now, five years from now. And then when you get to that point, he shows you something else. There are people that God has called, the call of God. Many times I've seen, it, the call of God was on their life. And because of whatever choices they made. For one example, one individual that I know personally, I I love the individual, Uh, he's a Christian. In his heart, he always wanted the preeminence. The Lord showed me that one time in a dream, and I didn't know that. But see, that kept him from the pastorate. He should be a pastor now. But because he followed another path, God's will and purpose for his life, what he really wanted him to do, that never came about. It never did. And and this takes place with Christians whenever we choose our own way. It doesn't matter who you are. I don't care who you are, what situation you're in. You must find the will and purpose of God in your life. And I believe that if we desire, he'll show us that. Now, I want to read a few verses, and I put scriptures in my notes to save us some time. This is Proverbs. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. So, you know, we all have minds. We all have this ability to form thoughts in our mind. But see, and that's God-given. But see, we have to say, Lord, you guide me. Not based upon what I think, what I may choose, what's right in my eyes. The fool, you know, is right in his own eyes. It says uh, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. But he, this is the, the finish of this verse, but he who heeds counsel is wise. So a fool doesn't have to remain a fool if he receives wise counsel. Another verse is Proverbs sixteen twenty five. There is a way that seems right to a man. See, there's a way, and that way seems right to a man. But the end of that way is the way of death. Death can mean various things, anything from actual physical death, and of course it means spiritual death, or it can mean where a person moves along in their life and their life is ruined. And I have seen people... And worked with people because they decided to to go their own way in their life. Their life, you know, they never really thought their life was going to end up the way it was. And they were in this situation, horrendous situation, and no way out. But I believe that God wants to spare you from those ways, the ways of ruin, the ways of destruction. Isaiah, let's turn to Isaiah 30. So, we're still going to look at this here. Then we're going to move on to some other things. Isaiah 30, verse 9. That this is a rebellious people, lying children, children who will not hear the law of the Lord. So, there you have the rebellious. They're not interested in hearing the Lord, not interested in hearing his word. But then if you move on down to verse 21, if you want to really hear and you really want a relationship with the Lord, he'll increase your, or however you want to say that, he will enhance your relationship with him. Verse 21, your ears shall hear a word behind you. See, that's because your heart's desiring to hear the Lord. Your your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way. Walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right hand or whenever you turn to the left. See, the Lord wants to make straight paths for your feet. And if you want the right thing and you want to serve the Lord, you want his best, you want to hear him, and you start to deviate a little bit from the path, You will hear a voice, no, this is the way, walk ye in it. And that carries so much value. For me, I love the Lord. I love the way he comes to me and shows me this is the way, walk ye in it, when I don't really know what direction or if sometimes I don't even really want to know the direction. And you hear the voice. See, that's because... You know, your heart wants him, not just religion, not just church, not just the social thing with the youth group, but your heart wants the Lord. And I believe that is a criteria that for people divides them into different groups because there are those Christians that do not really want to serve the Lord with fervor or put it this way, they really don't want the deeper walk. See, you see, I've always wanted a deeper walk with the Lord since I was a younger Christian. I didn't know that's what I wanted, but as I progressed on, the Lord was putting things in my heart, and my desire, and I've prayed this prayer several times in my life, and I said, Lord, if you know Because he knows the beginning from the end. He knows the future for me. He knows the future for you. I said, Lord, if you know that down the road I am going to deviate and leave you, I would rather have you terminate my life now than allow that. And I meant it, and I still do. So we have to have this desire that we are going to go all the way with the Lord. Not just church, it's not about church. In Hebrews, let me read this verse. For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, that you might receive the promise. So the main thing here is doing the will of God. When you do the will of God, certain things promised come your way. It's just the way it is. One more verse in Colossians. That you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. So I have always had a desire for all the will of God. That's why when the worst thing ever for me as a a Christian, the worst thing was not going to the mission field. The worst thing was not dying for the Lord. You know, the worst thing wasn't doing this or doing that or or doing something maybe that I wasn't real keen about doing. The worst thing, and the Lord knew this, for me personally, was to be in front of people. The worst thing, I never wanted it, I hated it, I would have done anything, anything in the world other than this, but that's what God put that before me. So now, what do you do? What do you do? So you have to stand in the complete will of God. So for me, I could have said, no, I'm not going to teach. I'd have still been a Christian. But if I want God's best and I want to stand in the perfect and complete will of God for me, I had to get up. And it was hard, very hard. Anything God asks us to do, remember this. He's already built the capacity in you to do it. So you don't know that until you go by faith and you take the step and you do it, and you find that now the Lord lifts you up with his hand. I have worked with people. I have a friend of mine, well, actually two friends. One found a Christian girl through online dating. Now, online dating service can be considered by Christians as good. Going to singles groups to meet Christians can be considered by some Christians as good. But what I want to show you in the scriptures is not God's good, but I believe it's God's best, and it's the biblical pattern. And if you don't understand this, that's okay, but I believe it's pretty straightforward. And how the Lord works this out in a church or in a person's life still can fit into this particular pattern. Let's go to Genesis. Now I remember years ago I was single and I went to a church. I was working and I couldn't come to church here. And so a friend of mine that I, a Christian friend of mine that I work with He said, well, let's go to such and such a church, my church, because we got off work, and it was close, and so we did. And after church, I said, they're having a get-together. Would you like to come? And I was single and everything to do. I said, okay. So I didn't realize that I was walking into a singles group. And it was quite an experience for me. And the reason was because God had showed me this biblical pattern uh, in that time frame, and he showed me what I needed to do and what I shouldn't do. Now, let me read this. Art, this is Paul saying this to, to the Corinthians, and I'll read this in two different translations. Art thou bound unto a wife? Seek not to be loosed. Art thou loosed from a wife? Seek not a wife. That's what Paul says in Corinthians. This is Corinthians 7.27. Now listen. As I said earlier, dating today is the means by which people find Mr. Right or Miss Right dating. More people have dated and had great emotional harm come to them because of, and this happens all the time. I'm not necessarily talking about Christians. I'm talking about you know people in the world. You know they date, they get involved with someone, and you know, who knows how far they go, and then something happens in the relationship and they end, and then they go to someone else, and then they go to someone else, and all along what happens is something internally there, there's a disruption in the spirit and there is harm and hurt done to the spirit of the individual. Now, this is the same verse in 1 Corinthians 7, 27. If you have a wife, do not seek to end the marriage. If you do not have a wife, do not seek to get married. Now, that does not mean that you cannot have a desire to be married. I believe that's a common thing with women, and with some men, of course, that they desire someday to be married, and they want a desire to be married to the right person. But Paul is not saying that you can't have a desire. He's saying what you do with that desire is what's important. The point is that you don't seek a mate. So the Lord put this in my heart years ago when I was single, and I saw this in the scripture, and I said, Lord, I see it in your word, and you know my heart. I want to be married someday. I want to have children. I want to have a good wife, but I do not want to seek a wife because your word says do not seek. See, seeking causes unrest, and seeking will cause a person To move toward that which they desire. Do you understand that? So let's say you have a desire and you're going to start seeking uh, a wife. So, okay, now I want to go where the women are, wherever that may be. And so now I want to play the field and find the right one. And then this this whole thing's going on inside you. You're seeking, 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 seeking. Paul wants to spare us, so he says... You don't want to be in unrest so don't seek don't seek a wife. Now, the biblical pattern I'm going to show this show you this in three places in the scriptures. Genesis 2 And when I say the biblical pattern, I believe that that people can Christians can meet other Christians, you know, even on an online dating service, but that is not God's best. You know The Lord has never you know, designed it that way. And then somebody would say, well, that's because they didn't have computers back then. It has nothing to do with not having a computer or an iPhone. It has nothing to do with it. A biblical pattern is a biblical pattern in any culture. It's just that this is not taught often. I heard this taught one time in my 40 years of being a Christian. One time outside this church. I heard somebody teaching it, and I says, Hallelujah, brother. It's about time. But see, this this goes against the grain of what churches and pastors think. But I really don't care. I'll stick to the Bible. If somebody doesn't want to stick to the Bible, that's up to them. Verse, chapter 2, verse 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. There is the scriptural pattern that the Lord, in the very beginning, brought Eve to the man. So... Adam didn't have to seek. Now, I realize he didn't even know that Eve was coming, but that's beside the point. If you are one who believes God and wants to have faith in God, you don't have to know when the person's coming. You just trust the Lord and go on with your life, and at his time, he brings, he brings the woman. Men, he'll bring the woman. This is just an amazing thing. People don't believe that God can do these things, or He can do it for someone else, but you know He just keeps me waiting, and you know I'm not too sure He can do that for me. Well, I, t- believe me, He can do it for you. Now let's turn to Genesis 24, verse 61. This is when um, Abraham sends his servant, and his servant goes out and, and finds Rebekah. You all probably know the story. Verse 61 Then Rebekah and her maids arose, and they rode on the camels and followed the man. So the servant took Rebekah and departed. Now Isaac came from the way of Beer Lehea Le- Rai, Re-a- for he dwelt in the south. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field in the evening, and he lifted up his eyes and looked, and there the camels were coming. Then Rebekah lifted her eyes and when she saw Isaac she dismounted from her camel for she had said to the servant who is this man walking in the field to meet us the servant said it is my master and then she took a veil and covered herself and an Isaac the servant told Isaac all the things okay so on and so forth the point here is that God was involved in this whole thing and God knew Abraham desired a son um, from his people, from, you know, not a Gentile, a heathen. Uh, he desired someone for uh, Isaac. And so now the, this whole scenario takes place, and now Rebekah is coming on a camel, and she's going to meet Isaac. So once again, the pattern is that God brought the woman to the man, he brings Rebekah to Isaac, and when he does, he knows that she's the one. And then they, they come together, and they're husband and wife. Now, let's go to the book of Ruth. Now, there's a lot in the book of Ruth, and we don't have time to really look at all this. We've all read the book of Ruth, correct? The whole, the whole story of Ruth? Okay. So you have some background on this. Okay, chapter 1, verse 22. So Naomi Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Now before this time, the Lord had been working in the life of Ruth. She was a Moabitess. She was a Gentile. She didn't know the God of Israel. She was a heathen. But because she was associated with Naomi, and she saw something, I believe, in Naomi, at a point in time, she said, "I I want your God to be my God. And so there's a change in her life. And from that point, God begins to prepare her and to do things in her life to prepare her for marriage. Uh, the same thing with uh, Boaz. You know, we, we don't see a whole lot in the Bible in this portion of scripture about him, but I believe that the Lord had been preparing his heart and he wasn't out seeking. He was about doing what he was supposed to do in life whenever Ruth is brought into his field. It's a beautiful story. Verse two, it should be verse one of chapter two, there was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech, his name was Boaz. So Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. Now she doesn't direct her to the field of Boaz, she just tells her to go. She wants to do what is right concerning Naomi to support her, so she goes out into the situation that, by the way, a single woman in the field was a dangerous place. And so she does this, and by doing this, she happens to go into the field of Boaz. And see, this is the hand of God leading her to the man. Then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his servants, who was in charge of the reapers, Whose woman, young woman is this? So the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, It is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. So here, again, this is three examples of the biblical pattern of the Lord bringing the woman to the man. Now, the great temptation here for Ruth, she desired to be married, but she was single. She had this desire for a husband, but yet she she felt to do what was right, concerning Naomi. The great temptation for her was to take matters into her own hands and to seek a husband. And that particular thing, if we as Christians want God's best, that will be the temptation for us to take matters into our own hands rather than allow the Lord to work and, and bring about you know, your mate, you know, the one that is the right person for you, the right fit for your life. Um, go to chapter three, still looking at Ruth. So she could have taken matters into her own hands, but instead she doesn't do that. And I believe that it takes faith in God to not take things in our own hands because, you know, we have power to change situations. We have power to change our own circumstances many times, not always, but many times. And so in order not to touch that and allow the Lord to move, you know, something has to occur. We have to have faith in God. So in chapter 3, verse 10, then he said, blessed are you, O my Lord, my daughter, for you have, not, you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning, in that you did not go after young men, whether poor or rich. Now, Boaz is saying this to her whenever she petitions, petitions him, basically, for, you know, to be a kinsman redeemer. And he says, you could have went after younger men, or young men, which tells me that he was much older. She was a young woman, and she could have found a young man, but she desired to do things the right way. And so she didn't. She didn't take matters into her own hands. Verse 11, and now my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you request, for all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. And that means a woman of strength, a a godly woman, a a woman of wealth, a woman of virtue. Now, there's a verse in the Bible that we, we know it says, for we walk by faith and not by sight. If you're going to walk this Christian walk and you want God's best for your life, you're going to have to walk by faith and not by sight. Which means that you will have to allow the Lord to provide a mate for you. And it's not going to be easy. You're all going to be tested. You know that? Are you aware of that? You're all going to be tested in one way or another. Testing is found throughout the Bible. And when you run into someone, you girls, you guys, the temptation may be there for whatever. So that's why we need to find out what God wants. And we're going to look at that in a little bit. Two more verses. But my righteous one will live by faith, and he that shrinks back, I will not have pleasure in him, or he will not please me. It says that he he that um, comes to God must believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of those who, what? Does anybody know? Those who come to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who, diligently seek him. Those are the ones he really rewards. Now, I want to, the Lord started to give me these things, and I had to write them down because um, I'm going to to start to to say these things. Now, if you have anything that you want to stop and talk about as we go through these, that's fine. We'll, We'll take time for that. This I titled this lies that young women believe. We can also say lies that young men believe because a lot of these are applicable to both men and women. Now this is one, listen, I really want to marry a Christian guy but I'm not looking to get married now so it doesn't matter if I see someone who's not a Christian. See what happens is, see someone who has that thought See, what's going to happen when you date a non-Christian is there's going to be attachment. There's going to be entanglement. There's going to be greater compromise. There's going to eventually be touching. Then there's going to be kissing. Then possibly sex. And then maybe becoming pregnant, pregnant which will change your life forever. Forever. And Guys, if you make a girl pregnant, it's going to change your life forever. So being in that position is very, very dangerous. And, and that's why I believe that this is a lie that some believe, a lot of people believe. Another one is this. Religion is not an issue at this time in my life. So it doesn't really matter who I date. You know, I, I can date whoever I want because... Religion's not not an issue. And maybe someone here hasn't even thought of that. But there are people, there are Christians who, girls who say that. And guys that say that. See, who are you? See, who are you? See, your relationship with the Lord Jesus is really who you are. So you need to guard your heart And don't put yourself in a position of entanglement or attachment or compromise with someone who's not a a believer. And even if someone is a believer, you still need to keep a distance because passion and feelings and lust come upon very quickly and they will overcome you or they can't overcome that's, That's why you need to just wait for the Lord. Don't seek a mate and be and stay in the safe place. And be there so that when God presents you to a husband, that he presents a virtuous woman. Pure. Pure of heart. And same with you guys. Another lie. This is a good one. I want to impact the lives of others, so I'm dating non-Christian guys, or I'm dating non-Christian girls. I want to, I want to win them to the Lord. Cut me a break. Well, There's some that, that believe that. Passion is very, very, very powerful. And no matter how you think you could, you could control it, when you're in the middle of it, you might find out you cannot control it. It'll overtake you. So God tells us, I believe, to love everybody, but he doesn't say that we're supposed to be ro- romantic. How do you want to say that? Um, he doesn't tell us to romantically love everybody. Uh, so I guess you know that. Here's another one. And, I, and this here, I want to actually stop and talk about this a little bit. Men will do whatever they need to do to get what they want. And what they want is the girl. I have seen this, and I will—I will—I t- give you an example. When I was a younger Christian, the Lord opened my eyes to this. There was a fellow that I worked with, and I didn't know him real well, but he was very shrewd—maybe a, a good word to say. He met a young girl. She was 22, 23 somewhere in there. She might even be, been younger than that. And he was so struck by her and her beauty. I saw her. She was very beautiful. That and this guy was a vulgar. If you would get him in a crowd of guys, he was vulgar. He told dirty jokes all the time, you know, the things he said and, and how he talked. He met this girl, and all he wanted to do was change because he wanted that girl. So he cleaned up his mouth. He wouldn't swear. He even, because her mother didn't want her to marry anyone that wasn't a Christian and she hung around pretty much with her mother. So he decided to go to church with them. He went out and bought a Bible. And this went on. I watched this for maybe a year. And he acted different. He didn't swear. You know, he, even when, when someone would say stuff to him, he wouldn't, he wouldn't bite. He had a goal in mind, and it was getting this girl in marriage. That's what he wanted. And he did whatever he could, said whatever he could, promised whatever he could promise to get this girl. And I heard that they did marry. I I can't verify that, because I had no contact when I left that business with him any longer. But I know one thing. In his heart, there was something not right. And I don't believe he was really a Christian. I think he went through the motions and even prayed the sinner's prayer. But it wasn't because he wanted God. It's because he wanted that girl. And I guarantee you that that marriage there never lasted. I'm talking about many years ago, this this happened. I have seen in the workplace how guys will take advantage of a girl who maybe, and I've seen this with many married women, where something maybe wasn't going real good between the husband and wife. Or maybe he wasn't listening to her. You know how men sometimes they just don't listen. That's what I'm told sometimes. But anyway, they don't listen and don't share, don't take time to, to spend time talking with their wife because, guys, you better learn your, your wives like, to, women like to talk a lot sometimes. So that's, you have to spend time. That's a need. So there would be a problem there, and now the woman's at work, and I would see men who could recognize that, and they would go after that woman. And what they would do is they would go over the the lunchroom and they would sit down and I'd say, well, yeah, okay, and just talk, you know, about any little thing. And they would just over weeks build a rapport with them like that. And then they would try to get the girl to you know, share some things, you know, about their life, about their emotions, how they're feeling. And then, after that, there would be a connection. They would say, oh, you know, You know, he doesn't listen to you. I understand it, but I'll listen to you. And they just manipulate. Why? Because they wanted to get her in bed. They wanted to have sex with her. And in many instances I've seen, they actually ended up divorcing their mate and connecting with this guy. So this is not something I'm making up. I've seen this time and time again time and time again, and the guy will do whatever he has to do to win the girl. You girls hearing this? So don't be fooled. Don't be fooled. And keep yourself in the confinement that God has you in. Don't seek for a husband. You can have a desire to be married, but let the Lord provide for you because it's going to save you a lot of aggravation down the road. Believe me. Believe me. And so the guy will go after her as far as meeting her emotional needs, befriending her. Nobody understands you, but I understand you. He'll try to impress her to either get her in bed or to marry her. Is going to be the ultimate. Charm. Do you know what the word charm means? Look it up online, dictionary.com. Does anybody know what it means? The first meaning of the word charm is the power to please. I'll do anything to please you. That's what I'm saying in my mind. I'll do anything to please you. So whatever it is. I'll paint your toenails even. You know, uh, Whatever I need to do. To please you. But what's my motive? Is my motive to please her? See, what is true love? We're going to look at that. But see, those who do not know Christ, their love is a self-centered love. Whether that is seen in in the beginning, whether you believe it or not, people in the world are self-centered. And, of course, that's in various degree, varying degrees. Some are more self-centered. Some maybe have a, a better love for you know, others than some others do. Some other people do. But the core of this is that a guy is doing what he does because he is self-centered. He's not trying to help them emotionally, then going his way and never bothering with them again. So I've had, I've counseled some women at work, not by myself, but with other people in the vicinity and told them certain things. And that was the end of it. Got away from them. I'm not putting myself in that position. I'm married, happily married. And I don't need to be accused. And guys, listen up. In the work environment, eventually you guys are going to be out there. You will run into women who will come on to you. Now, you might not believe this because I'm an old goat. Maybe not a goat, but. (laughs) Up until three or four years ago, I had women at work coming on to me. They knew I was married, knew I had four kids. They don't care. They don't care. Why? Because they have a self-centered love for what they want. And I just, you know, get away. I like, don't get away from me. I don't want to be around. So you have to retreat. Remember the story of Joseph? When Potiphar's wife uh, came on to Joseph, what did he do? Tell me. To get away. Yeah. He put some distance between him and her. <coughs> so believe it. This is going to happen. You'll all be tested in this. I guarantee it. Somewhere along the line, and some of you guys that are really handsome, (laughs) you may find this happening quite a bit. So you have to carry yourself. Are you still awake? Mm -hmm. Okay. You need to carry yourself a certain way so that you're not sending signals to women, the wrong signals. And if, if they're advancing, you need to put some distance there or, or just, you know, keep away from them, whatever, whatever it takes, whatever it takes. So charm means the power to please. Another lie that people believe is this, I love you. You know what that means? It means I love me. That's what it means. Now there's a thing as, such thing as true love. But that's what we see in the Bible, and I, I mean we can look at that later. But "I love you" means I love me. I'm self-centered, really. And now we, we, we don't believe some of this, because you know, you look at a person, and me, I'm the kind of person I think the best of people. I do. Christian or non-Christian. The people I work with, there aren't Christians. I think the best of them as far as I give them the benefit of the doubt. But I know the nature of man, the carnal nature of man, the sinful nature of man. And I've been around long enough to see uh, some of the tricks that people use. And, you know, when it c- comes down to it and they say, I love you, that means, yes, I love you, I love you. And that means that emotionally I'm attached to you, but I want something really. Something, or, you know, there's Something there I want. So if one's life is self-centered then that's going to come out later on down the road. Another lie is that sex is love. See, love is selfless dedication. It's not sex. In the whole scheme of marriage, sex plays a small, small role. You know, if you understand what I'm saying. That's not the preeminent thing in the marriage. That's not the preeminent thing in love. So that's part. It's an important part. But that's not the core of what love really is. Now, let me read this verse. This is 2 Corinthians 6.14. You can turn there. Now, of course, everybody, if you have different translations, it's going to read a little differently. But the same thought's going to be there. It says, Do not be now listen to this very closely. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, and what communion has light with darkness? So he's saying here, and I'm going to come back to this in a later time, because I I do want to show you something in this verse here. What communion has light with darkness? Well the, the reason that Paul, one of the reasons Paul says this is that if a Christian father, let's say a Christian man, he marries a non-Christian woman, then he gives his future children to a non-Christian mother. And if the woman is a Christian and she marries a non-Christian man, then she gives her future children, over to a non-Christian man. And you have no idea what the ramifications are for kids, you and your children. Now, here's some questions to consider. Who will come first? Now, we're talking about a marriage that's unequally yoked A Christian either woman marrying a non-Christian man or a Christian man marrying a non-Christian woman. Who will come first, Christ or your husband, or Christ or your wife? Let's say I marry a woman, she's not a Christian. And I know that Christ has to come first in my life. How in the world is she going to understand that if she's not a Christian? That's going to be a source of agitation eventually in her her life. You mean you're putting God you can't see before me who you can see? It doesn't make sense to to a non-Christian, and I don't care if they say it does, it doesn't, the reality. And how will you explain to him or her, how how are you going to get them to understand that, that God must become first in my life, my life? Okay, another question. Will your spouse's indifference to God affect your own spiritual growth? Now remember, I told you about the example I told you about this one fellow. It looked like he was a Christian. It looked like he was serving the Lord. He even bought a Bible, walked around with a Bible. And I was watching this. I said, I can't believe this. I almost found, tried to find who, who that woman was, the mother, and tell her, this guy is a ravenous wolf, like it says in the Bible. He looks all improvement, proper, and everything is you know, great, and in this charm, he's trying to please her, he's trying to impress her, and she's taken up with it, and she's, you know, they're, they're, they're making a connection, you see, but inwardly, he's like a wolf on the outward. And I almost got on the phone and said, you need to get her away from this guy, but she had, I, I don't believe she had much discernment as a mother if she didn't warn her child. Or much love for her child if she didn't warn her child. That affects, if they married, which I believe they did, now he becomes indifferent as far as God is concerned. He fooled her now. He accepted the Lord. He carried a Bible. He went to church. He fooled her now. Now what? It's going to affect her spiritual growth because he has no interest in God. How will you explain to your your spouse how God guides your decision if he or she does not know him? You say, well, you know, the Lord's just, I believe the Lord wants me to do this. How do you tell someone who's your spouse who doesn't know the Lord that the Lord is guiding you? How can you do that? They're not, going to, they're not going to understand, they're not going to perceive, they're not going to see. What's going to happen is, what looked in the beginning as you two being close, and in this, I don't know for a better word, this connection, now there's going to be a drifting apart if, if, if you want to serve the Lord. If you don't want to serve the Lord and you compromise, that's something different. But if you want to serve the Lord, eventually there's going to be this drifting. There's going to be no growth with one, and the other one is going to want to, to grow in God. And it is going to be all kinds of problems. What if you believe that God wants you to accomplish something together as a couple? For example, let's say you marry an unbeliever, and you're married for three or four years and you, you get this in your spirit that God wants you to start to go occasionally on the mission field. Let's say, a Peru or wherever. And that's really strong in your spirit to go for a week or, or two as a couple. You can't do that because the person's not a believer. They have no business being on a, a, a mission trip as far as the Lord's will and purpose, what he wants accomplished there. And so if God would lay that upon the heart that that would have no, it just would never come up, come to pass. Anything that the Lord would would try to do you couldn't do as a couple. It would just be you. And who knows what your husband would be doing or your wife would be doing where they would be and you know if God would send you for a week What if God's, listen to this, what if God leads you to stop a particular habit? Maybe you develop a habit in your life, and now the Lord's dealing with you to stop it. You think your mate's going to understand that? Or, or say, well, the Lord's dealing with me not to watch TV," or, you know. What? You think I'm turning the sports off? I want to watch the basketball game. Forget about you. That's craziness. You're going crazy. You're going to be in a loony farm. You keep this religion up, they're going to come in a straitjacket, carry you away. Will he or she think you're being unreasonable, especially since everyone else is doing it? Well, everybody else is doing this. Everyone else is going there. You know. You know Why can't we? Well, in my spirit, I don't feel that I should. I believe the Lord's leading me not to do that. There's a problem again between two people. Here's here's a better one here. If you have children, will your mate agree to let you raise them to know Christ? Will he he or she object when you want to take the kids to church or to Christian functions? I've seen this one where the man says no. And the woman cannot take her children to church or Sunday school. He puts his foot down. He says, no, doesn't the Bible say you're supposed to submit to me? Even though I'm, not a, I'm, I'm an unbeliever, I know at least that much. Or the other way around where the husband wants to go to church as a family and the, the wife that's an unbeliever wants no part in it. Will your spouse's unbelief hinder your children and grandchildren from from trusting Christ and ultimately affect their eternal destiny? That is heavy. Will your spouse's unbelief hinder your children and grandchildren from trusting in Christ? And the answer to that is I believe yes. They can hinder And as I say, in the beginning, there's nothing. There's no resistance, usually. There's no hindrance. But as things go on in the marriage, things change. They always do. And this is a change not for the better, but for the worse. Now, if you or your spouse have a disagreement, will your mate have the capacity to forgive? You know, even as Christians in a marriage, sometimes things occur that may take a little while for one to forgive the other. Am I right, married people? That's true. Now you you put another factor into this pot here. You have one who's an unbeliever. Will they even have the capacity to forgive? One of my family members, or two, actually two. One. This happened twice with two, two different. Well, it's actually four different people, where someone did some something to someone else. It was no big deal. They would not forgive them. They were brothers. And one was a, another another example was a brother-in-law. And they held a grudge for 20 years. One I know personally brother the brother-in-law the families disagreed on something that was stupid, stupid thing, and they would not talk to each other. They did not talk to each other. I witnessed this for twenty five years. and the reason they talked to each other was there was a there was a um, funeral, I believe twenty five years, and they they didn't know the Lord. And they held a grudge. They, they didn't have the capacity or didn't want the capacity to forgive. So you want that in your marriage where you do something, your mate gets mad, and they don't talk to you and give you the, the cold shoulder for a week and say, well, he or she will never do that. Don't you bet on it. When people don't get what they want and get their way, they can get pretty nasty. I have seen that multiple times where the wife did something and didn't do it exactly the way the the, the man wanted, and he didn't talk to her for a week, give her the cold shoulder, wouldn't talk to her, wouldn't give her the time of day, would sit and eat, wouldn't say a word while they ate, got up, go into the living room or bedroom, wherever, wouldn't talk to her, Sometimes two weeks. See, some people don't have the capacity to forgive. Maybe at first, yes, because you know, you know when you're courting, so to speak, you're, you're getting to know one another. It's different. You're trying to please. But later on, other things happen. Now you have your wife. You have your husband. And now the true you can come out that they didn't see before. This example I gave you of this man, I guarantee you that after they got married, she saw some things she didn't know and didn't see before. So don't be fooled by this. Don't be fooled. You need to just seek the Lord and allow him to provide for you in your life. And remember that, you know, forgiveness is a choice. And um, many people find it very difficult to make the choice to forgive especially if they don't have God in their lives. So even well-meaning Christians can fall into the trap of marrying a non-believer. I've seen it many times. Now, just because a person says that they know the Lord does not mean they know the Lord. Like someone said, uh, I think it was when we were to jail, the uh, chaplain said that everyone now in jail knows the Lord. Everyone says they know the Lord. They've, they've accepted the Lord. But, you know, that's not really the case. You know, because a, a guy comes up and he's, you know, coming on to you, and you're liking him, he likes you, and you start talking about the Bible or whatever, and he says, yeah, I, I've accepted the Lord. Well, he may have, but that doesn't mean anything. You know, show me your life. Let me see you live a godly life for five or ten years. Then i will think about marrying you. Five or ten years? What are you, crazy? <laughs> marrying a non-believer is, a mean, is not a means to a successful marriage. It's fraught with problems, and it's fraught with many, many difficulties and hindrances. That is why we read in the Bible, do not be unequally yoked. We'll stop there for a few minutes. Does anyone have any questions to this point? Now let me go back and say this, because maybe some of of you thought of this. I said before the biblical pattern is that God brings the woman to the man. What if the woman's in the church and the guy comes from outside of the church and you now the Lord leads him to that church? Is that God bringing the man to the woman? No, not necessarily. He, brings the, he might bring a guy to the church. Now he's in the church. So there he is. He's you know, worshiping the Lord. He's coming to church for a year or two, whatever. And all of a sudden, the Lord brings this person in the church in front of him and shows him now That she's the right one. See, so God still brought the woman to the man. Now I was single for 13 years. And I was teaching this when I was single. When I first saw this, I thought, well, this is great. I'll teach this in the Bible school that God brings the woman to the man. Then the Lord wanted me to live it. Says, okay. Are you going to have faith in me, or are you going to take matters into your own hands? So at the time, I was working, driving as a driver in Pittsburgh, and I can't tell you how many times I had opportunity to hook up with Christian girls. These were Christian girls. I'd go into a business to deliver the mail, and there was this Christian girl and I didn't give him the time of day because I knew and I believed. I said, Lord, you bring the right person into my life. I am not taking any steps toward any woman. I, Paul says, seek not a wife. So I did not. Just walk with God, did my daily routine, did work, come to church, you know, all that, and waited, and waited. And I went to this one Bible study and there was a girl there, and I was much younger, and there was this girl there, and she was a bombshell, to say the least. Do you know what a bombshell is? Do they ever use that expression nowadays? No? What do you guys use expression? was The girl's really, really fantastic looking. Come on, guys, help me here. What, what terminology do we use? If I wasn't here, what would you say? If none of the girls were here, what would you guys say? A what? A dime. A dime? Is that true? Yeah. Oh, man, she was a quarter. (laughs) And this was funny because, so we're at this table, okay, and we're around this table, and the guy leading the Bible study was to to my right, and there were guys and girls around. It was a big table, all around a table, and this quarter (laughs) sat... Dime, set, two seats from me, and I thought, Lord, can I please talk to her? Maybe she's the right one. You know, it's been 10 years, and I've been waiting and seeking not a mate. Maybe she's the right one. She looks like a good Christian girl. She really looks like a good Christian girl. <laughs> and... The Lord would not allow me to give her the time of day to talk to her or anything because He wanted to be the one to provide the right girl for me. And the funny thing was, the seat between her and myself was open, and I believe the Lord was right there in between. So I said, Hey, Lord, whatever. That's when I decided, well, I decided before, but that was reinforced that I would marry the will of God. You need to decide to marry the will of God, not the person that might be appealing to your eye, because the beauty fades after 15, 20, 30 years, 40 years. Eventually it fades. You know what my mother... If you would see pictures of my mother when she was in in her 20s, she was really, really beautiful. Now she's 96. For her age, she's pretty. But she doesn't look like she did when she was 22. Beauty fades. You don't want to marry beauty. You want to marry the will of God. See, Because the will of God will endure And the will of God for your life will be the best choice for your life, the very best. And so here I am, suffering, being tested, and I was written my teeth spiritually, saying, Lord, I am going to follow through in this. How can I teach this stuff if I don't believe it, and if I can't trust you enough to bring the right woman to me. So I stayed in that thing for 13 years. 13 years. It's a long time. And I did my, my daily thing and taught and so on. And I'm thinking, this is what goes through my mind. Okay, here we are in this church of 10,000 people here. We're way out on the main highway where everybody can see and people come in and out of this church. No, we're in a little dinky church of 50 people on a dead end street. The main road isn't really even a main road. There's no advertising. God, you're going to have to perform some miracle. And all this stuff's going through my head. But I believe God. To bring somebody to hear? How is that going to happen? I mean, I'm out there, and the Lord says, no, 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 no. Okay, if that's no, no, then bring her here. So here, Linda is in Southern California living, and the Lord has her from, move from there to Pittsburgh, and she finds out about this little dinky church here and brings her in. And by the way, when God brought her here, I didn't talk to her. I took the wait-and-see approach. I wanted to wait and see. Wait and see. I had time to wait 13 years. What's what's another couple of years? Right? So I waited and waited and waited until the right time. And then I fell, because I was just watching, watching and watching. I didn't I didn't talk to her, not one time that I recall. And then finally the Lord said. Okay. And I said, Oh, okay. And so See, but are we? Do we want God's best? Do we want what the Lord wants for us? Or are we going to get our hands involved in it and mess it up? And then, I mean, we we might go to some online dating service and find a Christian guy or girl, and we might get married and have children, and things might be okay. But do we want God's best? That's why I started that off in the beginning. You know, do you want God's best for your life? Well, I do. I do. Now let's continue on. Anything anybody has? Yes. I have a question. You said that God brings a woman to the man. Does it work the other way, or is it just like? Well, what do you mean? Does it work the other way? Does God bring? It's not like the woman comes and hey, let's get married. Oh no, no, no. The woman. No, this is how it works. God somehow will bring the woman to the man, and the man will recognize that, and the woman will too. In a way, yes, but the pattern is the man should be waiting, and the the woman shouldn't be seeking. The man shouldn't be seeking. Let the Lord do that whole thing. Okay, now, still getting back to this thought of um, a Christian and a non-Christian. You have different foundations that are built within the person. Yeah, marrying a non-believer is building a life on two different foundations. Uh, Now, the biggest lie I have seen, and I've seen this multiple times, that the girl will say, well, I'm going to get married to him, and I'm going to lead him to Christ. And I've seen the other way around, where the guy would say, I love her, she's pretty, uh, you know, And she's not a Christian. I'm a Christian. I know what the Bible says, but, you know, I'm going to lead her to Christ. If not now, later on, I believe the Lord's going to bring her along. And I have never seen that happen yet. Now, I'm not saying it doesn't happen. It may happen in some instance, some rare instance. But for the most part, Paul says, don't be unequally yoked. And the picture, you know what a yoke is, right? You have the big wooden yokes between animals. Now the normal picture is two oxen yoked together and they can pull. But a better uh picture would be to get in your mind an oxen and a donkey, a Christian and a non-Christian. And, and one's not going to be moving, the other one's going to be stubborn, and you know, they're they're not going to, to be able to be yoked together for one purpose and moving toward uh, some purpose that God has you know, for the believer, for the Christian. There are people, and I believe there are, this happens many, many, many times, there are people who go and seek counsel, maybe even Christian counseling, and they can't take being married to a person that now they have nothing in common with thats That's something that you hear frequently. And the reason why is after they're married, in the beginning it seems as though there's a lot of things in common, but if the believer is going to walk and serve the Lord, eventually the commonality will disappear. And this person may have a, a desire to serve the Lord and to do whatever. And the other person, because they don't know the Lord, they think it's a church is a big waste of time. Has anybody ever told you going to church is a big waste of time? Yeah. They don't understand. You know, they may be uh, interested in going boating, or they might be interested in golfing. Golfing's big with guys. They love to golf. And you go to church, I'm going to go golfing with my buddies. Or you can go to church, spend your time there. You know, I like to, to watch NASCAR. Or you go to church, uh, you know, I might come once in a while. My heart's really not in it. I'd rather be doing something else. You know, life's too busy. I work all week long. Why would I want to take my days off and go to church? And so the, the commonality there that was in the beginning, maybe whenever they were seeing each other, now once they get in the marriage, that disappears. And if the Christian, the Christian guy wants to serve the Lord, then there is going to be an increasing gap there. I don't know if you've ever seen this. So here you have, um, we'll say this is God, this is the husband, and this is the wife. So how you, in actuality, spirit, soul, spirit and soul, I'm talking about, get closer together is as he moves toward the Lord and she moves toward the Lord, the gap between them becomes less and less. There, there's a, a, a greater closeness because of the common goal. You know, being like, like the Lord, being Christ-like, you know, serving him, all that. And they normally, it's a natural thing. It's a natural thing, but spiritual thing. Uh, where they, because their, their direction and their focus now is the same goal. Now, that doesn't mean you can't go do other things like go hunting or, you know, boating or, you know, whatever, fishing, whatever you like to do, sewing It doesn't mean you can't do any of that. What I'm saying is that there is a common goal, a common direction, and because both of them are going in the common direction, they'll just automatically get closer and closer. And that's something that, you know, is an internal thing. You just get close. You, not like you have to even do a whole lot, but you know, it's just something that, that takes place. Now let's turn to John 11. Now I'm probably n- not even a halfway through with this tonight. So we're going to do another night. Is that okay? We'll do next Wednesday, I think. John 11. Now let me ask you, all, all you guys and girls that went to Sunday school since you've been little peeps. In Genesis 1.1, what did God separate? Pardon me? What else? Light and darkness. darkness. It says God separated the light and darkness. Does that tell you something? Do you know that darkness and light cannot cohabit a particular place? If you have light... The darkness is dispelled, so if we would turn off all the lights and blacken all the um, the windows and we would have pitch dark in here I mean I don't understand this this is just you know physics but but uh, you would have pitch dark in here, but if you lit a candle now that candle dispels some of that darkness, so the point I'm making is that. God had separated the light from the darkness, and that's a pattern you see in Genesis. They can't cohabit. So what makes us think that they can cohabit in a marriage relationship? I mean, you can have some common things, but in, in actuality, there will be a division. Now, John 11, verse 9. Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. See, the light is not in him. So there is a, a distinction here between what is in him, the light, the light or what is in him could possibly be darkness. So he, the Lord uses the natural elements to display spiritual truth. So you know Jesus, in many of his parables, uh, he would take examples from nature. From, remember he said about the sower, the sower took seed and he sowed the seed. That's a natural thing. And he portrayed spiritual truth from the natural thing. We can learn many times spiritual truth from natural things. So this whole thought here of light and darkness, that's a natural thing, but it portrays a spiritual truth or the spiritual thing. And so you don't want to hook up being light with darkness. Now, that's not to say the person's evil. I'm I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about where a person dwells. What realm do you dwell in? If you're a Christian, you're walking with the Lord. You're dwelling in light. That's that's the realm. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. If someone does not have the Lord, they are walking in darkness. Have you ever heard the expression where someone said, you know, when I, I came to Christ, it's like the light went on. Well, it's true. Because there, there, now there's this division. So the common thing, of the, the, the essence of life is going to be different with someone who is dwelling in light and someone who is dwelling in darkness. John 1.5 says, And the light shined in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Now, let me read this verse again from Corinthians. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Do not make the mistake, excuse me, do not make um, mismated, excuse me. Do not make mismated alliances with them or come under a different yoke with them inconsistent with your faith. For what partnership have the right living and right standing with God with iniquity and lawlessness? Or how can light have fellowship with darkness? So there's the key there. There is no true fellowship between light and darkness. Are you understanding this? This is pretty straightforward, right? So if someone is is marrying an unbeliever, there's not going to be the fellowship that's going to really satisfy you in here, see? It's, it's not going to be there. It's, it, look at it this way. Well, Maybe this isn't a good example. So people that you know maybe that aren't Christians, I mean, you, you can have conversation with them. You can talk with them. You, know, you may talk about sports. You may talk about uh, what do you girls talk about that you like? Huh? Shoes? Okay, thank you. You talk about shoes. You can talk about these things you know, with them that interest you. But ha- have you ever gotten into a conversation, a deep conversation about the Lord with someone? It's just like there's this connection there between both of you where you're talking about it. There's something about the Bible and you're talking about something and there's something more than just a typical conversation. And that is just portraying in a little measure or an example of what can be in a marriage, what can be good and what cannot be so good. If all your conversation with your husband is just the surface stuff all the time and there's never really a connection in something deeper, then I guarantee you that eventually you're going to be dissatisfied. You girls, tell, I'm telling you, you will be. There has to be some connection between you and your husband that goes beyond just common interest in the natural. There has to be something that's more than that, or else you're going to get frustrated, and you may not even know why you're frustrated. You may take it out on your husband, and you know he go to work and say, you know, my wife, she's, she's always got the screaming meanies. I don't know what's all about. I don't know what I do, but it, you know, what did I do? I, I don't. I don't do anything wrong. And a lot of times, it's because there's this need in the woman for this connection, and that's not there. And to make that connection, I believe, to really make it the way it should be, there should be two lives that are focused. And founded upon Jesus Christ. Because then you have the whole thing there you see. You, you have the natural things you can talk about. And then you have the spiritual things. And you have the connection. Spirit, soul and body. Like God created us. But if you marry an unbeliever. Then that need inside of you women. Is never going to be fulfilled. You'll, you'll spend the rest of your life. Think about this. The rest of your life without certain inner needs being fulfilled. And you you probably can't even, you don't even know what they are. You'll know that something isn't the way it's to be and you might take it out on your husband, but you might not be able to articulate what it is that's bothering you. You might not have any clue. And it might be as simple as that there is no spiritual connection. See, because if that thing is right, and as I said, you have the spirit, the soul, that's mind, emotions, all that, and the body. All that's working for you then in the marriage. See, and that's what you want. If you want to have fulfillment in that arena, marriage, that that's what you need to to look at. You need to, to keep in the right place here. And that's why I'm trying to show you some of these things to help you out because a lot of you are either in the uh, the age who's the youngest here? Fifteen. Their kids are dating now at age thirteen. Somebody just told me that recently. Oh age thirteen they're starting. Said what Some of you are at that age or all of you are at that age. And I believe the Lord wants to spare you of a lot of problems down the road. A lot of them. So don't be in a rush to move into a relationship. You let the Lord do this. Because it will be right and it will meet the inner need you have. And by the way, guys. You guys that don't show any emotions. You know, you're the tough guys, weightlifters. (laughs) Take off my shirt. Yeah. (sighs) You know, this stuff doesn't bother me. (sighs) Nobody will see my emotions. I I know. You all have emotions. They're there. Now, they might not be as graphic as some of the women, you know, how they they come on. Men tend to keep them in. But see, you have them, and there is a need that you have, and it goes beyond sex. There is an inner need that you have, and that inner need will only be fulfilled... When you are with the right girl, the Christian girl, to where now you can share spirit, soul, and body. Not just body or or soul, soul meaning emotions, thinking, mind, but also spirit. Because that's the way God made us, spirit, soul, and body. So remember this. uh, And... You'll keep yourself from evil. And when the time of testing comes, and I'll probably talk about that maybe next, next week, when the time of testing comes, be aware that for God to produce gold in you, to produce something that's worthy of the person that's out there for you, he has to do something. See, Ruth was prepared for Boaz. She went through all kinds of things in her life. Choices she had to make that were difficult. But all along the way, when she did the right thing, God was building in her heart and her life so that, listen to this, so that she would be worthy to be given to Boaz. See, who is the type of Christ, actually? And Boaz, he was, it's called he's called a mighty man of value. No, that was Gideon. There's something about Boaz. There's a, there's a word in there that means that. I can't remember what it is. But anyway, Boaz, although the Bible doesn't say a whole lot about him, he desired a wife. He was an older, older man, I don't know how old he was, maybe forty. He desired a wife. But he didn't seek a wife. He, he took care of his fields, took care of his servants, did his normal thing. But because he was upright, he wanted to do the right thing, the Lord was working in his heart and doing things in his heart so that he would be the man that God could give to this virtuous woman, Ruth. So both of them had to go through times of difficulty and testing and they had to make the right choices. They, both of them, did not seek a mate. And at the right time, God brings them together. And it's a beautiful thing, a beautiful relation, relationship. And they came together, spirit, soul, and body. And they were given to each other because they passed the test in their life. So if, let's look at it this way, if she wouldn't have passed the, the certain test, and she would have went her own way, and she went back to Moab or whatever, she would never have been presented to Boaz. If Boaz did not allow the Lord to work in his life, and he decided to, to do his own thing, then he would never have been ready to be a godly man and a godly husband, and he would not have had Ruth brought to him, as we see in the scripture. So they both did their part, and God brought them together. And it's a picture, Boaz and Ruth, the a picture of Christ and his bride. Did you know that? That's a picture in, in, the, uh, in the scriptures. And so, I'll leave you with that and we'll stop for tonight. That the Lord has someone out there for you, but you have to wait. And you have to seek him and don't seek a wife or a husband. And just Wait. Keep yourself pure and keep yourself in the right place, you know, uh, confined. And if the temptation comes, how many people here have jobs? When you're out there, you need to be careful. Be aware of that, that there's going to be a time of testing. It happened to me many, many times. Even before I was married, many times before I was married and after I was married, at least 15 or 20 times. It seemed like at one point it happened, you know, it was happening all the time. And and you just have to just grab a hold of the altar and say, Lord, I'm going to serve you. And that's the end of the matter. I will not, will not get involved with a married woman or any, any woman, because I'm a married man, but not only that, I wouldn't get involved with anyone because God didn't bring her. God, God didn't approve of her for my life. And that was, I would not compromise on that. And so, if you compromise, that compromise in your life will cause you problems later. Because the Bible says, what you sow, you will reap. That's a spiritual law. And you don't understand what you'll reap. It won't be seen for many years. So stay in the place the Lord has you, in this place of safety, and just wait for him.